Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 5, 21 through 6, 9. Now hear the word of the Lord. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the Church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that all may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. My name is John Harrell, and uh, I am a lay member here at First Free Methodist Church. It is a joy to be in God's house with you this morning on this beautiful Seattle day with very little smoke in the air so far. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but, uh, but Anna and I have definitely been feeling the, uh, the fire smoke this week, so it's, it's great to, to have this beautiful day to be in God's house. Uh, I'm a youth ministry worker, uh, and, um, and I do some, some youth work, both for SPU and also here at First Free. Um, and I have the honor of being married to Anna Castillo-Harrell, who is here this morning and who brought an earlier installment in our series on Ephesians for this summer. Uh, you may remember that she preached five or six weeks ago from this very pulpit. Let's pray as we turn to the Lord together. Merciful God, now let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When, uh, when I do trainings with youth workers, when I'm training people how to, to interact with high schoolers in particular, there's a little exercise that I like to do. And so I'd like to do that with us right now, if I might. Uh, I often like to do a, ask a simple question. It's, uh, it's, it's got a, a few different parts, so I'm going to need you to, to listen carefully. But I'm going to name eight different brands... And I want you to see if you can figure out what they have in common. And I'll give you a clue, uh, first of all, that they are all television networks. So that's not what I'm looking for, okay? So here they are. I'm going to give you eight names. I'll read them twice. So see if you can think about what the commonality between them might be. Here they are. Comedy Central, BET, Nickelodeon, CMT, MTV, VH1, TV Land, and the Paramount Network, formerly known as Spike. Okay, see if you can think about what, they, what that might be in common for all of them. I'll read them again. Comedy Central, BET, Nickelodeon, CMT, MTV, VH1, TV Land, Paramount Network, formerly Spike. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever watched a show on any one of those networks. Yeah, a good majority of us. There's a reason for that. It's because uh, they are very, very popular television stations. Here's what they are. Here's what the commonality is. They are all part of the same company. And that auditory reaction that I just heard from somewhere over here of, whoa, I get that in a room with youth workers too. We didn't realize that they were all the same company. Here's another one that's kind of fun. Who listens to the radio in the car? Anybody? Cool? Yeah, anybody under 20 is like, what's the radio? <laughs> well, here, here, here it is. I'm going to read a bunch of different stations here in Seattle. Same commonality. If you've ever listened to 106.1 KISS FM, Cube 93, 95.7 The Jet, uh, Sports Radio KJR, 96.5 Jack FM, or KZOK 102.5, you're listening to the same company. Why do I tell you that? Well, when I tell it to youth workers, I, I mention that because uh, it, it's in the context of understanding uh, the principle of market segmentation, that there is, there is an interest in, uh, that the companies have an interest in helping, in, in, in making teenagers understand who they are or believe that they are a certain thing so that they'll watch a certain station so that they'll buy a certain product. Right? I mentioned that this morning in a different way because we are living in a culture where uh, where companies and, and, and market forces in, in our world can, uh, they, they give us the idea that we can choose to have our own preferences regardless of where we are. 
I could turn on the television, and if I want to see something that, uh, that would speak to me as a 15-year-old, I can watch Nickelodeon. I can turn on the television if I want to watch something that speaks to me as a country music consumer, I can watch CMT. As a teenager, I might watch MTV. As a, um, as, as a, uh, before they went, before they went uh, bankrupt, or, or re, not bankrupt, before they rebranded, um, if I were a college-age male, I might gravitate towards Spike TV, right? So I can have my preferences depending upon where I am in life. Our society tries to teach us that the goal of life is to have one's preferences in all things. Uh, this week, it was in the news that one of the airlines was, re was completely redoing its, uh, its frequent flyer program. And now, for only, after only accruing 20,000 miles, you get a free carry-on bag and a seat selection. And we can name any other, we can name all these, all different types of things in our, in our consumer-driven world that, uh, that's, that specify if you only do this, you can have this the way you want it. If you only pay a few more dollars, you can have this exactly the way you want it. Um, a few, I, I don't know if anybody else listens to the NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, on Saturdays. I listen to it every week. Uh, and the host, Peter Sagel, once jokingly uh, and satirically referred to Netflix and said they had done this really, really amazing thing. They had come up with a television show that both members of the couple want to watch at the same time. Right? We, we live in a world where, where, where freedom and where, uh, where success in life is often interpreted as the ability to have one's preferences, one's stylistic preferences, one's comfort preferences, one's preferences in how we live, one's preferences in, in how we make decisions and in, in where to go and what to do. Um, and Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, as we've been seeing throughout this summer, through this series, Paul is writing to this new Gentile church in which there is heavy emphasis now on how, how the Gentile church at Ephesus can live in communion with the Jewish church elsewhere in the world. How, how, how the Gentile church has been adopted into, uh, into God's plan as it has been manifest through the Jewish line, as Anna preached several weeks ago and, and as we've been learning this summer. This idea of adoption, that, that God has, has united these two factions now into one in Christ Jesus. And uh, throughout this series, uh, Pastor Matt has been, has been showing us that, that the first three chapters of Ephesians has to do with the, with the talk, right? What it is that, that the Ephesian church is being encouraged to believe about being one in Christ amid its diversity. Uh, and then chapters four through six, where we are now, are the walk. How do we live out our life together as Christ? And Pastor Heather led us off last week with looking at uh, how do we coexist together? And so this week, we are going to be in chapter 5, verses 21, uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 21 through chapter 6, verse 9. If you'd like to follow along, uh, in your pew Bible, it's on page, it's going to begin on page 1427. That's page 1427 of your pew Bible. And I'll be reading today from the CEB, which is uh, also the same translation that you have in your pews, as we look together at God's word. And we're going to be looking today at how Paul addresses the Ephesians on this question of how can I have my preferences as a person of Christ. 
So as we look at, at verse 520, chapter 5, verse 21 and following, we see that Paul turns his attention to the question of how we submit to one another as people of Christ, as, as, we, as we live out our adoption into what God has done through history. Uh, how does this look as we, as we give ourselves to each other in Christ? And, and he turns his attention to three different contexts of daily living. He's talking in a particular context, and he, he looks at the, these three different areas, the uh, relationship of spouses in Christian marriage, the relationship between children and parents at home is number two, and then the relationship between Ephesian slaves and Ephesian masters, right? Marriage, parenting, slaves and masters in Ephesus. This is a difficult passage, amen? And, uh, and there has been reams of paper and hundreds of Olympic-sized swimming pools of ink over the course of Christian history that have been spilled on this exact passage as we try to come to terms with what is Paul getting at? What's he trying to say? Even this week as I was studying this passage more intently, and I've preached on this passage before, uh, I was struck by just how diverse the voices are in how we interpret this passage. As you can imagine, uh, it, it has caused quite a stir over Christian history. And so as we, but as we consider this this morning, it's important for us to understand the world into which Paul is speaking. First of all, he's speaking into Ephesus at a particular moment in history. In that world, it was, it was assumed that males would be the heads of their families, it was assumed that there was a hierarchical structure, not only in society, but in the household, such that, um, such that they were given strata within a culture of, of various social stratums, strata that would submit to one another, but there were also uh, that within the home, the wife would submit to the husband, the children would submit to the parents, and final authority rested with the man. I have not done my job this morning if you think that that's how I think by the end of this sermon. Uh, and, I, if, and if you question, if you have reason to doubt me on that, I would encourage you to talk to my wife who I believe would not have married me if I thought that males were supposed to be the heads of their families. I think that, um, that Paul is speaking into this particular, particular context where, where, uh, where male headship was assumed and he's advising Christian believers how to live within that, that structure, right, for the moment. You know, we, talked, um, we talk sometimes about how God's kingdom is already but not yet and how, um, and, and how we see evidence of God's kingdom coming. Uh, and even elsewhere in, in Paul's letters, we see places where Paul radically distorts the idea that, that men are supposed to be heads of family or, or that, that men are supposed to be in final authority in the church. Um, and we, we see places like in Ephesians 3, excuse me, Galatians 3.28, where he says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. And so what is he doing? He's speaking into this moment and saying, given the social realities of this time, how can you, the Ephesian church, live in a way that, that practices self-giving as adopted into the body of Christ? And as we'll see, he actually is going to subvert that too in how he advises that. Stay tuned because we're gonna to get to that in a moment. So male headship was assumed. We also know that slavery was common. Slavery was, uh, was a part of how the social structure was ordered. It is not American slavery. 
It was not the same thing. There were, there were still commonalities, right? Ephesian slavery uh, had the, uh, meant, that, meant that people were quote unquote owned by other people and that for, for a period of their lives or even maybe for their entire lives, they would be, uh, be a subject to a master to do what they were, were asked to do. A couple of important differences, though, with Ephesian slavery. Uh, first of all, it generally wasn't, it wasn't exclusively divided under racial or ethnic lines, right? And so you could have people from the same ethnicity or, or racial background uh, uh, working as slaves and masters in, uh, in relation to each other. It was still oppressive. It was still unjust. It was still reflective of not the kingdom of God coming yet. Um, and Paul gives evidence elsewhere in his letters, too, where, uh, that, that he understands that this is an unjust relationship. But he's advising the Ephesians and saying, given that this is where we live right now, how do you, the church at Ephesus, rethink the way that you live within this social structure while we continue uh, to look for the kingdom of God coming? It's really easy to read this passage as a justification for all kinds of evil. It's really easy to do that. Um, a cursory reading of this passage uh, might lead one to think that men are supposed to uh, subjugate women. It has been used that way in the church, including the church in America. It's easy to read this passage and, and believe that parents are supposed to subjugate their children. It has been used that way. It, is, it can be used as a justification for the institutional evil of slavery. It has been used that way, including in the church in America. And that is not what Paul is doing here. But if we want to receive this text as God's word for us, if we want to find a way for this to be useful for us as Christian believers in our context, we still need to mine this passage for what Paul is getting at as he advises the Ephesian church and see how we can apply it to our lives in Seattle, in Tacoma, uh, in Burien, in Snohomish, in Everett, in Shoreline, wherever it is that we, we are hearing this online today, right? How can we apply these principles? And through it all, I think that we see three threads of what Paul is trying to get at here. And I, I've, I've, I've reduced it down to three principles that I think we can, we can kind of mine from this as we, we walk out today into the world to live on mission for Christ's church. The first one is that I think we see from this passage that we are to hunger after humility. We are hunger, we are to hunger after humility. If we look at verse, uh, chapter five, verse 21, uh, Paul starts with a blanket statement. He says, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Before he even goes into his case examples of marriage and parenting and slaves and masters, he, he, he issues this as a, as a dictum for the church at large. How do we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ? We talked about having our own preferences. This comes into play because no longer can we, can we live as though the goal of life or the goal of success is to have our own preferences, but we are actually giving to another person's preferences, maybe. In, in that moment, that we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And he advises the Ephesian husbands to love their wives as a form of submission. He advises Ephesian wives to submit to their husbands 
uh, and we'll talk a little bit about what he means by that in a moment. Uh, and, and he says that, that, uh, that both the husband and the wife are to submit to each other as part of that blanket statement that we are all to submit to each other. Uh, and, and, he, uh, and he tells the, he tells parents not to exasperate their children, right? As a form of submitting to their need to be affirmed. He, 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 he talks about um, uh, children obeying their parents. That's a form of submission too. He talks about slaves and masters doing for each other as Christ does for us, right? Uh, slaves, serve your masters, right? Do a good job for them. Uh, protect their reputation in the community, perhaps, right? And, and, and for the masters to treat their slaves, he says, stop threatening them, right? You don't get to mistreat people just because they work for you. And so there are, there, there are these ways in which Paul is, is finding that humility Right is is an important thread within uh, within the entirety of Christian life, and so we we see that we are to to hunger after humility. I I can't stand before you today and say that I have been perfect at this. As a matter of fact, this week uh, uh, there was a there was a moment when, in one of my lesser moments of character, um, I uh, picked a fight with Anna over something that had happened. Um, we. <laughs> A pictified is, is too strong, but I allowed myself to get get upset and um, uh, and and take take an issue. Um, what had happened was that uh, on Thursday morning, um, Anna had made a simple mistake about forgetting to set the alarm correctly, and so we were like five minutes late to work. And uh, in like I said, in, it wasn't one of my prouder moments that I allowed that to get to me the way I did, and it resulted in a very tense conversation on the way in from Burien that morning. And I was feeling all high horsey and mighty on Thursday that I had gotten it right and maybe she had gotten it wrong. And then Friday morning, guess who forgot to set the alarm? <laughs> guess who was consequently 75 minutes late to work on Friday? As we, as we hunger after humility, it's important for us to remember that none of us gets to strut None of us gets to lord it over the other one. None of us gets to, none of us gets to pull rank. None of us gets to, uh, to, to pretend as though our place, our, our gender, our, our racial status, our, our, our situation in society, uh, our, our position in the, in the family household means that we are better or more authoritative than another person. As, uh, as I saw in painful reality this week, that we are all, we are all, required to eat our humble pie from time to time. And Paul looks at parents and children and says, oh, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, it's, important, uh, it's important here to, to understand, too, that this doesn't mean, um, as, as with any of these contexts, it doesn't mean that, uh, that if, something, if someone is being hurt that we don't say something, right? That, uh, that's not what Paul is doing. And if you need examples of that, we can see elsewhere in the tenor of his letters. We can see elsewhere in the tenor of the entire scripture where, where God's heart is, is for the, free, uh, the freeing of the oppressed, uh, setting the oppressed free, remembering the orphan and the widow, uh, and those who are mistreated. And so what he's not, what Paul is not saying here is to sit down and take it if someone is mistreating you. But what he is saying is that, uh, that part of how we, how we serve one another in the family household is that children are, 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 to, are to listen to their parents and to, to honor them, right? He quotes from the Old Testament, which says where, where this is the first commandment in the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise. Honor your father and your mother so that you will live long in the land that God is giving you. 
So we, we obey our parents. This, by the way, uh, this, can have, this can have reverberations into adult life too. Uh, if, you, if you are in a position in life where you're an adult like I am and, and, you ha- and your parents are still alive as mine are, uh, this applies to us as well, right? How do we find ways to honor our adult parents as adults too? How, how, can, we, how can we think about uh, ways to, to show that we care about them, that we remember them? One of my mentors uh, visited me in Vancouver a few years ago and, uh, and asked about, uh, hey, how are, how are your grandparents doing? And I said, well, I'm not entirely sure. I think they're doing okay, um, but I talk to them probably once a month, once every other month when I think of it. And this person said to me, he said, what you need to do is you need to realize that they want you to call and that it's important for you to, to bear witness of your love to them by making a routine time each week just to give them a buzz. And that very week I started, and every week, almost without fail, in the two or three years since that conversation took place, uh, I've been on the phone with one or both of my grandparents just to say hello. And I am here to tell you that that has borne dividends in love in their life because they have told me so. What are some ways that we can go out of our way as children, whether child children or adult children, to honor and obey our parents? And parents, even speaking as a self-proclaimed perfectionist, right, this is something that I struggle with, and I know that as a parent in the future, I am at high risk of being a demanding person. I know that right now, even before we have children. Um, how, can we, how can we as parents, as those, even if, uh, for those of us who are in authority over, over students, right, um, in, in youth ministry even, how can, we, how can we submit our desire for perfectionism to the, to the bigger goal of making sure that our children are loved. The scripture says, stop exasperating your children. Stop, uh, stop exasperating your children. How can, how can we live at home in such a way that affirms them before chastising them? How can that be the higher virtue? How can, how can we live our lives in such a way as to even go out of their way to do small things to let them know that, that we love them? And, with, uh, and, and as Paul uh, teaches us about hungering after humility in terms of slaves and masters, in our culture, we, we, might, we might just uh, tr- kind of transition that into the way that, that employers and employees work with each other because our social, uh, social arrangements are different now. How do, we, how do employers and employees relate to each other in such a way that each is pursuing is, is hungering after humility with the other? If you're in a position of, of being uh, in employment authority over another person, as I have been from time to time and as many have been over me, uh, how, how can we go out of our way as those who supervise uh, to make sure that those who work for us understand that we understand their needs? How can we go out of our way to understand what they like? If you have employees, what are their favorite football teams? What's their favorite ice cream flavor? What's their, what's their favorite music station on the radio? What's, uh, what are the names of their children? When are their birthdays? Do they like receiving, uh, do, they, do, they need a, do they need a bonus because, because of a medical issue in their family, right? Can, can we go out of our way to be showing those who work for us that we care about their well-being as individuals? And for those of us who work, Paul says, uh, Paul says to, to, to work as though uh, we're working for the Lord, right? That I don't just clock in on Monday morning, I don't just clock out on Friday evening, and, and, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't just do this as something that I have to do begrudgingly, but I do this because those who work for me 
excuse me, those whom I work for bear the image of Christ themselves. And so I, as an employee, can go the extra mile, can do my very best, can protect their reputations and how I speak about them uh, out in the community and even with my coworkers, right? So that there's this new hungering after humility that we get to do as people who are, who are living after Christ. And so whether we look in marriage, whether we look in the way that parenting and, and household relations work, whether we look at the way that, that, um, that employers and employees can, can work together, we can apply these principles from the Ephesian context into ours in our day and age too and hunger after humility. Secondly, quickly, uh, I think that we see here that we are to chase after charity. That we are to chase after charity. Charity in the sense, in the older sense of that term, uh, not in the sense of handing out things, but in the sense of active love for another person. Right? We look at the, the verbs that are used in this, in this passage. We see verbs like honor. We see verbs like love. Uh, if anybody else listened to DC Talk back in the 90s like I did, they had a song called Love is a Verb. Right? And if that song is stuck in your head, for those of you who know it, then you're welcome. <laughs> love is a verb, right? How do, we, how do we chase after showing charity to those around us? How do we go out of our way in our marriages to show our spouses that we are listening? that we care for them, that we remember their birthdays, that we remember anniversaries, right? How can we, how can we go out of our way as, as parents and as children, right, to say that, uh, to, to show that, that those of us in our family matter? If, uh, if, if the Bible says to honor your mother and father, what, what are your parents' birthdays? I keep coming back to that idea of birthdays, but it really does speak to people. It's really amazing how far that can go. What kind of food does your mom like? What, uh, what, what, kind of, what kind of music does your dad enjoy? Do you know these things? Do I know these things? Right? I know that my father doesn't like Brussels sprouts at all. But do I know what he likes? Right? I know, that, I know that, um, that my wife's favorite color is orange. But do I know what her least favorite color is? Can I make a, a mission in my own life of studying these things? And those around me, whether in my marriage or in my parenting or my, my, my pastoring of youth, can I, can I, uh, can, can I, can we as a church, right, uh, do this in the way that we treat those who work for us and those we work for? When I was, um, when I was about five years old, uh, I was living in a little town in Southern Maryland called Lusby, and there was a, a little dive diner there called the Frying Pan. I'm not even, I don't even know if they're still open now, but... Uh, my dad got it into his mind one day. He said, you know, I really want to bless my son. And so once a month, right around the day that he turns a month older, which he came to call my mirth day, I'm going to take John out to breakfast and we're going to go to the frying pan. And so we did. Starting around age five, we'd go to the frying pan once a month. And when my brother was old enough, dad started going with him. And sometimes that meant two breakfasts out in the same week, because my brother was born on the 8th and I was born on the 10th. And for years, we had breakfast once a month at the frying pan. You think about the developmental spectrum of a person's life from age five through age 10, through age 15, up until leaving for college, and the different types of conversations we had around that table over that time. And then when I went to college at the University of Maryland, it was only an hour away, and my dad's a morning waker-upper, He's an early bird, and he drove up into suburban Washington, D.C. once a month to take me out to breakfast at 7.30 in the morning at IHOP. 
even in my college years? How can we as parents learn to serve our children in a way that speaks love to them? So we, we chase after charity with each other. And then that, that can even apply too in our, in our relations with employers and employees. Um, can, we, can we be finding ways to show our employees and our employers that we care about them as people? And then lastly, we search after self-giving. We search after self-giving. It's not enough just to have a mindset of humility or to, have, uh, or to, to chase after charity, but to actually find ways to give ourselves. These are, this is an active idea that we are searching for ways to bless each other. In marriage, Paul tells the Ephesian husbands, bearing in mind again the social context of the time, he says, uh, he tells Paul, Paul tells the Ephesian husbands to love, to agape right, their, their wives. Agape is the love of God, the love of God that drove Jesus to give his life for the church, to give his life for the world, right? Can we as husbands, can we as spouses give as God gives, to agape our spouses. This comes in too with uh, just even deciding where to live and what to do in life. Um, if, if, for example, if, if Anna were to have an opportunity to advance professionally that would require me to give something up professionally, would I have the courage and integrity? In spite of our culture's apparent fixation on the idea that male success is the most important thing, would I have the courage to do as Paul says, to do as scripture says, and give, give up so that Anna could advance. Right. And Paul tells the Ephesian wives, he says, to submit to their husbands. This is probably the most problematic place in the scripture, in this passage for most of us, including myself. And I have to give credit uh, to, uh, to one, of, one of our scholars at SPU, Dr. Wall, who's done some important work on this idea of submission. Uh, for my research this week, because what Paul is not saying, what Paul is not saying is that a wife is to take a back seat to her husband in Ephesus. The submission here has less to do with authority and hierarchy than it does with the idea that one actually needs the benefit of the other. And Paul is saying this in a, in a place where, where he's emphasizing the unity of the Jews and the Gentiles. He's emphasizing the unity of the husband and the wife. And he's speaking into this context where hierarchy is assumed and saying, can we understand that, that, that uh, the spouse needs the spiritual authority and ministry of the other person? And can we incorporate the idea that actually the scripture does teach us that there is no male or female, there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free. Can we, can we translate that into our context where, where we believe that, that a husband and a wife can be on equal footing in marriage? Can we say that these principles both apply to both spouses, that husbands and wives are each to love each other as Christ loves the church, that husbands and wives are to submit to the need for the other person's nurture in their life as Christ Christ submits to the church as, uh, and gives his life. Can we, can we say that as the church submits to the need for Christ and the need for unity together, that we can submit to each other in marriage? That's what, what Paul is getting at here. And children, can we search after self-giving? Can we search after self-giving by, uh, by, by understanding that we need the mediating role of wisdom in a parent's life? 
Parents, can we search after self-giving by understanding that we, we, we need the role. We need to give ourselves our, our sense of autonomy to understand that the Spirit speaks through the wisdom of children in our lives too. And through it all, as we look at these three principles, hungering after humility, chasing after charity, searching after self-giving in a way that, that even anticipates the coming of the kingdom of God by saying that, that whether we are male or female, whether we are married or single, whether we are children or parents, whether we are employers or employees, that we can anticipate God's kingdom by showing these ideas in the ways that we interact with each other. One final story before I, before I take my seat of how I saw this uh, play out one time. My, uh, my grandparents tend to make it into my sermon illustrations quite a bit because I have tremendous respect for them. And I was traveling with my grandfather once about 14 years ago. We were in Pittsburgh. And by that point, he had been married to my grandmother for about 45 years. And we, uh, uh, my granddad and I checked into our hotel room. We were on about the, the 15th floor of a building in downtown Pittsburgh. And the housekeepers in the room had tied the opaque curtain back such that it was hidden into the window frame. And it looked like there was no dark curtain there at all, just the semi-transparent sheen. My grandfather walked into the room and he, he kind of went, hmm. and I said, Granddad, what's up? What's going on? He said, your grandmother would not like this hotel room. And I said, why? He said, because the window doesn't close. After 45 years of marriage, the two of them had hungered after humility, chased after charity, searched after self-giving enough that from a distance of 400 miles, he was able to know exactly what she wanted. That's what Paul is calling the Ephesian church to as it interacts with each other. And that's what Paul is calling us to as the body of Christ living in communion together now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, uh, for this word that, that speaks to us that might be difficult. We thank you for uh, this, this morning in which we get to hear how you would call us and call each other to, uh, to chase after charity, to hunger after humility, to, uh, to search after self-giving with each other. We pray that as we leave this place, Lord, that you would help us as, as spouses, as family members and as those who do work, Lord, to be looking for those ways to be the love of Christ with those around us. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.